Welcome and thanks for tuning in to our podcast. My name is Donovan, my wife Jessica and I are the lead pastors here at Destiny Church Praha. We know that today's message will bless and encourage you because the Bible tells us that the Word of God is alive and active. If you want to connect in with us, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media or visit our website at destinypraha.com. Let's get into the Word. I'm going to go straight into the Word because the awesome worship left me with 30 minutes to preach on something that I could probably preach on for much longer. And I've gone through these notes about three or four times to try and edit them to be shorter. And I don't, I couldn't do it anymore. So if I don't finish today, this might turn into a part two message. Good morning. Morning blessings. Come in, come in. (laughs) We were waiting just for you guys. Welcome. Oh, man. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Can you guys feel the joy in this place this morning? There's joy. Okay. So we're doing a series called Found in the Fellowship. And uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of things. Last week, we spoke about being part of God's family. And uh, this morning, we're going to be speaking about the way God sees the church. So I just thought I'd do a quick recap on last week. So if you didn't hear last week's message, please go to the podcast, go to YouTube, follow this series. It's going to be good. Um, I'm going to be speaking this morning about the way God sees the church. Next week, Donovan, uh, daddy daycare over there, going to go and feed the baby now. Thank you. Um, Donovan's going to be preaching on offense and forgiveness next week. That's a hot topic. Prepare to be offended. That's a good subtitle for your sermon. Good. Yeah, so he's going to be preaching on offense and forgiveness next week. Um, then we'll be following that on by communication. And then Abel will be bringing the fire as well on community. So we spoke last week on God's family. And we looked at the word koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. And this word happens immediately after the Pentecost. We said that the Holy so Jesus had just ascended, so they had been saved, everybody had been baptized, the Holy Spirit came, and then people started asking Peter, now what? What do we do now? And we see the early church, the group of people who just, where the Holy Spirit fell, they started to move into koinonia. They started to move into fellowship. That was the natural next step to what God was doing within that community. And that's what we wanted to speak about, was that fellowship is not an optional extra to your walk with Christ. It is an integral part of your belief system. Just as salvation, as baptism, as receiving the Holy Spirit, which we sang this morning, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to speak about fellowship, being part of this community. But then... Also understanding that that word koinonia that was used in the New Testament to speak about fellowship was never once used in a social-only context. It was never to describe the disciples just hanging out or somebody just meeting up with somebody else to go fishing. There was always a spiritual element to that word. And that's what this series is about, is understanding that our community, our fellowship that we're building is deeply spiritual It's not just a social hangout. It's not a friendship club. This is deeply spiritual. Amen? And I think if we knew how deeply spiritual and how powerful fellowship is, we would understand why the enemy is trying so hard to tear apart the church, 
we would understand why it's so easy in our Christian circles to isolate, as Audrey said, to become offended, to carry unforgiveness, to feel like you don't fit in, to feel like there's no place for you. Because the enemy is doing everything he can to stop you from joining into fellowship. So something else we said is that this fellowship, we're born into it. When we became believers, we're born into the family of God. And it's a joy and it's a gift. And it's something that we should be trusting that everybody around us is born into as well. Our heart should be to not only make our friends feel welcome and loved, but to see them saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, in fellowship, maturing in Christ, growing in spiritual and emotional maturity. That is what the Word is telling us to do. So our part in the fellowship, we said, was to be present, not neglecting the gathering together of the saints, as some do, as the Word tells us. We need to be protective. We need to guard this, because this is the church. This is holy This is what is going to advance the kingdom of God on the face of the earth. This is how people are going to experience the love of Jesus. And if we aren't protecting this, yeah, we need to participate. We all have a part to play. Every single one of you, uh, Caroline showed me a quote this morning. It said, our church is better because of you. Our church is better because each and every one of you are here this morning. You each have a part to play. Small or big, there's something here and there's a call for you in this church. And not just this church, but in the church of Christ, in the global church. We're not isolating these conversations to this church because we know that the church is not the four walls. And that's what I'm going to be speaking on today. And lastly, we said that our part in fellowship is to propagate. It's to take the seeds and to scatter them, to see growth come from fellowship. Amen. Delara's amening. Because she wasn't here last week, so she's like getting this all fresh. So we said, just as koinonia is found in the early church, what we're seeing here is that the church, what we're doing this morning, what we do when the word says, when Jesus says two or three that are gathered in my name, we see that the church is one of the ways God wanted fellowship to be lived out. It's a practical way for us to fulfill God's model for fellowship. The kingdom, however, as we said, is not advancing because people have such a distorted view of what the church is. And there is no better place, I believe in my heart, to be speaking about this message in a place that carries such an unbelief in God and in the church. When we speak about this country, it's difficult. You know, I think the enemy bringing confusion is not necessarily that he's, how do I say this? I believe, and this is me, this is what I believe God has been speaking to me about this country. I don't believe that people labeling this country as the most atheistic country is correct. I think the people in this country who we love, they just don't know. And I want to tell you why I believe that. Because I, when we recently had our little baby boy, we had a midwife. And my first meeting with her, she's local, and she said to me, uh, what do you do? And I, I always hesitate to tell people I'm a pastor, because people get confused. They're like, oh, like a priest? And I'm like, I don't know, I've never really called myself a priest. So, you know, I just, I see myself as somebody that's taking care of a flock of people, you know. So I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, oh, I've never been to a church before. 
And here she is, almost 50, and she said, I've lived here all my life and I've never been to a church before. You know, we um, recently bought an iPad for the church secondhand just up the road here at our previous venue. And Donovan actually bought it from somebody who stayed opposite the venue, the Christian library where we used to meet. And he said, what are you buying the iPad for? And Donovan said, no, we run a church and we're going to use it for a church. And this guy was like, a church? There's a church meeting in that room? He's like, but that's not a church. That, that's, a, that's a room. You know, and I'm like... Wow, all of a sudden, it's not that people's hearts are hard towards God. They just don't know. The enemy is just sowing confusion because the true model of church is not being shared with these people. I remember when my parents started their church, they used to first meet in a Lutheran hall. Then they met in a car garage. And then we finally met in an Italian club where they used to have parties every Saturday night. So we would go and set up for church at 5.30 and there would be some puke on this side of the stage and some beer bottles on this side of the stage and we'd have to mop everything up for church. It wasn't in a traditional church building, but it was church. Some of you have been part of churches where it's just a small group. It's just a couple of you sitting in a lounge. That's church. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today because I believe that if we as believers can understand God's model for the church, if we can start communicating that with others, if we begin to realize that sometimes we are the only church people are ever going to encounter, have you thought about that? There are going to be people that will go to the grave never having set foot in a church, but they would have encountered you on a daily basis. You may be the only church somebody is going to encounter, and we need to understand that. And we need to understand the power that that carries. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple of metaphors that the church, that the Bible speaks about the church. And there are so many, but we just chose four. Because this morning, my prayer is that you are not just part of this church, but that you understand how God sees the church how deeply Jesus loves the church, that you begin to understand your part in the church and that you understand the power that the church carries. Amen. Amen. Okay, checking time. Firstly, you're going to have to stick with me because I'm going to be running through these notes, okay? You're going to have to listen to it on the podcast afterwards and slow it down to 0.5. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And I love the title of this passage of Scripture. It's called Unity and Diversity in the Body. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 25, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Amen? The church is a body made up of many parts. And firstly, every part of the body is necessary. Verse 22 in that scripture, it says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. So I want to tell you that even though you may feel weak in the faith, even though you may be a mess, even though you may feel young in the faith or young in age, even though you may feel 
immature and you can think of so many different reasons to disqualify yourself from being part of the church, there is a place for you and you are necessary in this family. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part is honored, we all rejoice. There is not any part that is less valuable or there is no, not a part that is dispensable in this family. Number two, every part exists for the whole. And this is something I, I love speaking about to people who say that they want to become a part of a church fellowship. Is I always tell people, just as, as there is a body, and in this church, if we say we're a body and we all have a part to play, I want to remind you that this is not the only church. If we think of the church of Christ, we think of all the churches. Let's just take this city, for example, all the churches in the city. Just as each of us has a part to play in our church, each church has a part to play in the kingdom. And there are different churches for different kinds of people. And there are different churches for different seasons in your life. You need to pray, you need to discern, and you need to ask God, where is the church for you? Which fellowship do you need to be a part of? And that might change. You might be part of a church for a season because of maybe something you're journeying at that time. Then your season may change. Maybe you get married and you have kids. Then all of a sudden, you're not looking for a church that doesn't have a kids ministry. You're looking for a church that, that loves kids because you want your child to also enjoy going to church. Do you see how easily your seasons can change? And that's okay. I grew up in church. My dad is a pastor. I watched my parents cry weekly when people would leave the church because it's not nice. I'm telling you now, if anybody had to leave our church, it is still hard, no matter how much we love you guys. But if you're leaving because there is a church that can better serve the season of life that you're in, we release you and we love you. Because you need to find a place that's going to serve the season that you're in because we honor every church. We honor what God is doing across the world. We're not trying to grow in numbers and be a holy huddle. We want people discipled, healed, set free. And if you're going to find that somewhere else, then we release you in love. Because it's, to me, it's not about you. It's not about numbers. It's about your soul. It's about your spirit. And that you're being taken care of. Amen? We're all one body. We're all one kingdom. It's one church. Amen? Number three, we need to maintain our health as different parts of the body, both personal and relationally. Verse 26, it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And we said the enemy is strategic, right? He'll cripple one part by one part. He'll sow one seed of doubt or offense. And we need to be taking care of the role we play in the church, and we need to be taking care of each other. We need to be taking care of ourselves spiritually because when you struggle, we all struggle with you. And we will carry you because that's what the body does. Lastly, number four, we must learn how to connect and to coordinate to move as one. And just as the scriptures said, the measure of a church's unity is going to be what's going to determine the growth. That what we do together, that we are better together, is what is going to be growing the church of Christ. That's, why, that's where the people were added daily, as the scriptures say. Because there was unity. That's exactly what it says in Acts. They were all meeting together. They shared everything. They had everything in common. 
and their numbers increased daily. We need to be in unity with one another. Ephesians 4 verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part, when all of us, when we know our value, when we know the part we play in the church, where we know what God is saying to us, when we become obedient to the people we believe he's saying we need to be encouraging or loving, or when we start serving in the areas we need to be serving, or when we start to develop the spiritual giftings in us. When I say you have a part to play in this church, I don't just mean there is some way for you to serve in this church. I mean, are you stewarding your walk with Christ? Are you reading the word daily, weekly? Are you connected in to a fellowship, to a community? Are you taking care of yourself? So we say that the body of Christ will grow in the love of Jesus when we each know our part to play. And number two, something that the church is, is the church is deeply loved by Jesus. Jesus gave his life for the church. And some of us don't know if we want to be a part of it. Something that Jesus gave his life for. That scripture that I read this morning. In him we live and move and have our being. Everything that is of Christ, everything that is from Christ, everything that he gave his life for is where we should be found. Acts 20 verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. If Jesus gave his life for the church, why should we give any less? Ephesians 5 verse 25. We see this beautiful analogy. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. We need to be holding nothing back from the church. Amen? Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22, and I'm reading a lot of scripture because I want you to understand that this is God's biblical model for church. This is not our vision or our mantra, whatever you want to call it. This is what the word of God is telling us. So whether you're part of this church or maybe you move elsewhere or you think of your home church, this is all biblical. So it goes on to say in Ephesians, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is the cornerstone of this church. And just as we know, as we said in the scripture, the temple, God is not dwelling in a temple built by human hands because we understand in the scripture that we are the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's building us. And if we say that Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone of the church, he is the foundation and the cornerstone of our lives as well. Amen? The, Jesus, the head of the body of the church. Colossians 1 verse 18. 
It says he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I don't know if Precious read my notes this morning, but I have here the church cannot operate without the presence of God. The church cannot operate without Jesus being the head of the church. One of the greatest enemies of the church is people who are comfortable with God's absence. That is the biggest enemy of any church, is when we become comfortable with God's absence, with the Holy Spirit's absence. We as a church, with Christ our cornerstone, Christ our foundation, Christ as the head of the church, Jesus Christ needs to be increasing in our church. He needs to be increasing in our relationships. He needs to be increasing in our community. He should be increasing in our worship. He should be increasing in the people's lives that are changed week in and week out. He should be increasing in the people we encounter and the Jesus that they experience in us. God builds his church. God builds his church. Number three, the church is a house. That's a fun metaphor. Ephesians 2, I just read it. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So when we say the church is a house, we're not saying it's four walls, but it's something that God dwells in. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? All of a sudden, the responsibility of the church to advance the kingdom of God goes beyond your pastor in the front and all of a sudden you realize that you're the church. And then it's not all on your pastors, it's on you. This isn't the church, you're the church. Could it be? Could it be that something that is so beautifully ornate, that sits on the corner of every main street in each city, could it be that all of a sudden that isn't the church and that you're the church? And it's exactly what I said earlier. I said people may never set foot in a church, but they may encounter you. And how do you reflect the church? How do you reflect Jesus' love? How do you reflect the thing Jesus gave his life for? When we, um, when we had our son, after um, I'd given birth, the midwife came and she sat next to me. <laughs> she sat next to me and she said, You know, I've never been to church, but I can imagine that what I felt in this room is what church should feel like. And I looked at her, and in my mind, I'm like, God, is this some sort of crazy evangelism moment that you're expecting me to do with her after I just gave birth? And I'm lying on the hospital bed, and she's holding my hand saying, I think this is what church should feel like. And I'm just, but in that moment, she said, and then she said, and the doctors in the room, they, they said that when they came into the room, they felt joy. Those people, they may never ever set foot in a church building. They don't know what church is like. She told me she had never been to a church, but she said she thinks she knows what it feels like now because she felt it. There was no altar. There was no podium in that room. 
There was no beautifully ornate window in that room. But the presence of God was there. In that room, in Donovan and myself, in that moment, was somewhere where the word tells us where God was dwelling in our midst. And that was church. That was holy. And I want to ask you, what kind of church are you? What are people experiencing when they encounter you? We as a church, we want to be a place where God would want to be at home. We want to be a place, a church that God builds through, where our family grows and others are also made welcome and feel at home. But in the same breath, are you the place where God wants to be at home? The life you're living, the story you're telling, the journey you're on, is that a place where God feels at home? Are you the place that God wants to dwell? Do people feel welcome and loved when they encounter you? 1 Peter 2 verse 5, it says, You yourself are like living stones, and you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are being built up as a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Is your life, is the sacrifice of your life a pleasing and acceptable offering to God? Is what you're bringing Him a worthy response to all that He has given you? These are tough questions. But I hope you leave here convicted. I pray that you are stirred when you leave here to ask yourself what kind of church you are. And lastly, the church is powerful. The church is powerful. Do you believe it? The church is powerful. Matthew 16 verse 18, we sang it this morning. I will say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The gates of hell will not overpower it. Abel preached a message last December, I think, Abel on Peter as well. So if you haven't heard that, go and listen to it. The battle is real. The battle for the church, the battle for the souls is real. The church, the body of Christ, so deeply loved by Jesus that he gave his life for it, that he gave his life for you and me, this, we are the house of God. We are the coming together of sons and daughters. We are the vessels through which the kingdom, through which people are going to encounter the love of Jesus. Why would the enemy not want to destroy that? And why do we keep forgetting that? Why do we keep forgetting that what we see with our physical eyes is not all that there is? There is a spiritual battle going on to destroy the church. Go and read up on the statistics of how many churches shut down during COVID. Go and research it. But I want to tell you a truth this morning. And this is, I'm coming to a close now. That when it comes to the enemy, I want to remind you that the church is on the attack. We are not on the defense. We are not living to defend ourselves against the, the enemy's strategies. We are on the attack. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 to 5 it says for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are not called to defend the church because the church is winning. We have the victory. It is done. It is finished. And we do not live like we are defeated. We do not walk around ashamed that this is what we do on a weekly basis. We do not walk around ashamed that we chose Christ or that He chose us long before we could choose Him. We as the church, you as the church, you are powerful and you carry an assignment to tear down anything that sets itself up against your Jesus, that sets itself up against the kingdom, that sets itself up against your identity as a son or a daughter you have the power to tear down everything that sets itself up against Christ offense unforgiveness, division lack of knowledge disunity, gossip laziness, know who your enemy is, it is not each other it is the enemy your brother that you have an offense with is not the enemy That person who you just can't seem to get along with is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Ephesians 6, verse 12, The struggle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have the spiritual weapons. We have the power given to us through Christ, through the, through the activating power of the Holy Spirit to fight. Not to defend, to fight. With strategy, with intention. We have an assignment, we have a mission. What are some of those things? What are our spiritual weapons? And we're going to elaborate on this a bit more at a later stage. But we have the spiritual weapon of unity and agreement that together we live out a covenant life with one another. The biggest threat to the enemy is a church who is united, a church that is in agreement with one call and one mission. You have the spiritual weapon when your spirit is in unity and agreement with God's calling on your life. We have the spiritual weapons of prayer and the word that we can live out a disciplined life. That is a weapon. Stewarding our time in the word, stewarding our prayer time, stewarding our free time. What do you do when you have a moment spare? We have praise and worship as a weapon, living out a grateful life, reminding the enemy not of what we don't have, but what we do have what is ours. We spoke about it last week, the inheritance that is ours. Freedom, forgiveness, free of shame, guilt, condemnation. The inheritance that we can spend eternity with God, that we have the promise of His presence, of His Spirit. We have the weapon of gifts and service that we can live out a generous life as believers. When the world is telling us to hold on to what you have and be self-absorbed and only take care of yourself, the Word tells us to live out a generous life. 
They gave freely, Acts tells us. They withheld nothing. They shared everything and they had all things in common. God, give us hearts of generosity. Lastly, we have change and transformation. Living out a spirit-filled life. Change and transformation that only the Holy Spirit can bring.